Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Cowan-Lorcas. For today's special episode, I spoke to Michael Piensit and Martin Monchgein from Simulator Engineering Specialist AVL, which works with major teams and drivers from across motorsport. We discussed the importance of braking and the various systems used in different categories of motorsport, how drivers can use their time working in simulators to find a performance edge in this critical area, and how new motorsport technologies are changing the way drivers brake. We hope you enjoy this episode. Michael and Martin, welcome to the Autosport Podcast. How are you both? Thank you. We're doing very well. Thank you for having us, Alex. Great experience to, to do this uh, for the first time for me. So I'm uh, really looking forward to, to uh, discussing this topic with you feel both. Michael, you're, you're something of an Autosport podcast regular now, I think it's fair to say. I'm becoming a regular, so this is my second time, and I hope it goes as well as the first time. Well, I mean, we're going to throw a, a wild, unstable element into the mix this time, if he doesn't mind me introducing <laughs> him as such. It's my third guest, uh, who, always, who is very much a regular on the Autosport podcast. It's our technical editor, Jake Boxall-Leg. How are you, Jake? And uh, yeah, wh- what do you make of that introduction? Um, a wild, unstable element. Uh, I'll, I'll put that on my CV else this morning no i'm sure i'm sure we'll uh, we'll get into plenty to discuss now jake actually we're going to stick with you for the start of this episode uh, so yeah before we hear in detail from michael and martin can you just please explain a little bit about why braking is so crucial to lap time and how drivers use braking differently to find that lap time okay so obviously braking is one of the key things that we talk about all the time in in racing and that's simply because if the driver's not accelerating he's probably braking and it's, it's vastly important to lap time because you want to stop the car in the shortest amount of time possible. You want to take a corner at the right speed. Um, so let's take, for example, turn one at Monza. Um, 
you know, you're going to be braking from a little bit before the 100 meter board, um, generally in a Formula One car. If you're going through that corner too slowly, then, you know, you're going to lose a lot of lap time. If you go through that corner too quickly, then you're going to, you're going to go offline and you're going to break a little bit too deeply. So it's so, so important to just get it spot on. Um, and there's lots of different ways that drivers can do it. It's the amount of load that you put through the brake pedal. It's the way that you use the brake pedal. It's the way that you use the brake pedal in with the steering as well. So in Formula One and in other, other motorsports as well, you'll see a lot of drivers braking in straight lines, but there's also something called trail braking where you're braking sort of into the corner, um, depending on the inclination of the corner. Uh, you can have cadence braking as well where you're sort of blipping the brake pedal to try and sort of get that bite of steering Um again if you're trying to sort of get that cornering performance so there's lots of different ways that drivers can do it um they'll spend a very very long time pouring through the data looking at brake traces and going okay this is what we need to do um and engineers will give them ways to change that as well so there's yeah a lot of things you can different that you can do michael and martin coming to you Let, let's talk a little bit before we get into the, the sort of the simulator side of things just just to give the, the listeners a sort of understanding of the the sort of technical parts and components that we we might be considering first of all when we talk about the braking system what what would you say are the sort of general components that the cars will be using and that the drivers will be using to slow themselves down i think um uh, if we just uh do it uh, kind of geographically. Obviously, you know, it starts with the driver. You have the, the pedal and the linkage to the master cylinder, which pretty much transforms in a conventional brake system the breakers, uh, brake force into a brake pressure signal. Um, then it goes to the brake cap caliber, which uh, then uh, presses the, 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 the pads to the disc. So this is essentially how I break it down. So how are the different uh, models uh, affect the, the brake system? Obviously, the, the pedal linkage uh, is, is typically tuned to uh, the, the likings of the driver, you know, depending on how he wants to have the first brake bite the direction um, according to his driving style. Um, in the, the caliper, it's really uh, up to, you know, being as lightweight as is possible while still maintaining uh, a high stiffness. And then with the disc and the pad materials, there's a lot of uh, R&D going into uh, about the materials to have uh, consistent brakes, you know, that are thermally stable. stable. So this was uh, just outlining the main components for a conventional friction brake. If you go then into a hybridized or even electric powertrain, then, uh, you know, a brake-by-wire systems comes into the mix, which adds a whole different level of, of complexity. So in a brake-by-wire system, essentially, the driver just uh, uh, gives his deceleration wish to the brake-by-wire system, which then translates the, the, the required deceleration into a, a torque blending between the friction brake on the one side and the regen from the e-motors to achieve uh, a stable deceleration that's uh, according to the driver's uh, expectation. And obviously, uh, to fine-tune this uh, sort of highly uh, complex system is crucial to give the driver the confidence uh, and the confidence that the system is always be- performing uh, according to his, uh, his needs. How much sort of resources would teams or manufacturers or, or braking systems manufacturers in particular, how much would they be sort of investing in, in new technology? A lot depends on the regulations of the race category you're looking at. But typically, I would say 
in the meantime, especially in top-level motorsports, it's quite a lot, as today the brake is actually a performance differentiator. Um, as you or probably everybody knows, in the last uh, 15, 20, 25 years, a lot has been talked about aerodynamics, about the tires. Um, now, the tires are regulated. There is no tire war anymore. Everyone is using the same tires. The aerodynamics has been researched a lot. There have, I don't know how many thousands of wind tunnel and CFD hours gone into every single Formula One car that's on the track uh, these days. Um, so teams are always looking for something that makes them better, uh, that gives them the biggest advantage in performance. And in the last, I would say, five and six years, uh, the brakes, the brake system has uh, become a focus of that activity. Um, so it requires actually quite a lot of effort to extract the maximum from a brake system. Um, so a lot of uh, work goes into the design, the testing, and also the optimization of, of the brake system. So these days, I think it's very important. And even if you look at a spec series, for example, Formula 2 or Formula 3, where everyone is required to use the same hardware, essentially, um, there is very fine differences that can make a difference because in the end, the driver needs to feel comfortable with the brakes and only then he will be able to extract the maximum from himself and from the car. It's fairly obvious when drivers aren't comfortable with the brakes, they're usually quite vocal on the radio. Sometimes you talk to them in the paddock and it's, it's fairly obvious where their frustrations are lying with. So how easy is it to get the braking set up wrong on an actual car? And then we'll come, we'll come to sort of to how they can, how that, how you can prepare for that in the simulator just after. What do you, what do you guys reckon? Actually, I think it's quite easy to get it wrong, simply because most drivers are very sensitive when it comes to the brakes. I guess the main reason for that is that if we're looking at F1, the braking phase is very, very short and very intense. So cars are decelerating from uh, 300 plus kph to 70 to 80 kph within, I don't know, one and a half, two seconds maybe. Uh, the deceleration is up, up to 5G and the time span is so short that the driver has barely a chance to make big corrections. So everything has to work to his liking. Um, it's all about confidence, really. If the driver feels the car does what he expects, if uh, the force on the pedal, if the motion on the pedal is what he expects, if the car handling is what he expects, then he will push further. If something's happening that he's not expecting, it's all happening very quickly, that will not help his confidence and he will not be able to go to the maximum and, and go to the absolute limit. And therefore, setting up the brakes and making sure they work properly is a fairly big task for a race team. Big part of that is using the simulator. We know how how crucial they are to, to drivers and teams getting results in all categories, whether that's you know junior single seaters, Formula One, obviously Formula E in the World Endurance Championships, and there's some very very sophisticated technology. So, how where does braking come into that? What is it? Is it the first thing that someone would test in a simulator, or you know what what's the process really of going of of testing you know a braking system in a simulator? Um, I I think. Uh, Really, the, the the simulator, the driving simulator, comes comes at a, a later portion. At the beginning, you really try to to do the testing as uh, automated as possible, meaning also keeping the the variable of the driver out. Um, and uh, as as far as test systems go, there's, there's essentially two different and uh, two, two different setups. Um, there's the single corner dyno, which really just has as a hardware, um, you know, one. A single brake assembly with some uh, bits and pieces of the suspension where you uh, try to replicate and simulate the track conditions um, for a single corner while simulating uh, 
from a simulation standpoint of view, the rest of the vehicle. Um, and the second uh, option that we do, um, which is then more related to different application tasks, is the full vehicle uh, brake testing, where you essentially have the full car in there with all four brake systems, the full brake systems build up. Uh, but instead of running uh, the actual powertrain, you run, uh, you, you decouple the, the drive shafts and run just a simulated powertrain, um, but essentially uh, also simulating the real uh, real track um, braking braking setup. And um, you know, with the technologies we have today, uh, you know, permanent magnet dynos who simulate the wheel behavior, uh, they typically can have uh, you know control rise times up as low as 1.5 milliseconds. That means reacting to the tiniest uh, dynamic change in, you know, wheel uh, accelerations, decelerations, uh, wheel slips, uh, wheel lockups, and therefore really able to replicating on-track behavior to the finest detail. Um, and then on the second portion, you know, with, uh, with wind speed simulations uh, and cooling systems, replicating also the, the thermal environment to make sure that the duty cycle is both in speeds and torques, but also on the, on the, on the heat uh, the temperature levels on the different components is really as close to the reality as possible. Um, and uh, in addition to the single corner, you know, the full car setup, a lot of uh, work goes also into, you know, brake balance, making sure that the, uh, the optimization between left, right, front, rear is, and, and from corner to corner on the track is, is optimized. And once you have done this groundwork, uh, then you bring in the coupling to the simulator, really physically connecting the brake system, I mean, really at the, also the brake line to the pedal so that the driver can test these optimizations and fine-tune it uh, also with the real feel of the pedal. So bringing in back the simulator, this is the, the final step of the process and the fine-tuning really to do the driver-specific setup. And with that, with, with those that two processes, would you get an experienced driver in to help first or you know, can it just be any driver to come in and give some feedback? Typically, we tend to um, use the drivers that the teams are bringing with them. So typically, our customers, they have a development task. We'll do our development on the dyno. And whenever we're almost there, when we have gone through a couple of iterations and we found something what the engineers uh, think is a good solution, then they will bring one of their drivers. And this is entirely the decision of the team to say, I want to bring, for example, a regular driver or will it bring a test driver who has probably vast experience with this subject. So it's completely up to them. One of the one of the most dramatic things you can see, let's take Formula One for example, is, uh, is is when it's fairly obvious when the brakes are really being tested because there's a huge amount of carbon brake dust coming off the cars, particularly during uh, pit stops, tire changes. Can you just explain what what that is? Uh, it's just essentially carbon dust, isn't it? So obviously these brakes are undergoing huge temperatures, huge loads, and obviously I think I think one of the most salient examples of that I think it was like Singapore 2010 where Mark Webber pitched it into the barrier um, under a lot of carbon dust. And it's because it, it's such a sort of hot circuit. And even though we're talking like maybe 5, 10 degrees over what it normally is, that means that you're just not getting the right cooling into those brakes. Um, and therefore, those brakes are just, the temperatures are just escalating and escalating. And then it's getting to a point where the wear is higher. Um, and when the calipers touch the disc, um it's it's sort of causing these little you know little cracks to form and that kind of thing and eventually um you're just going to get through to a point where 
the, the brakes don't work anymore and they just sort of fall apart. And I, if I can sort of follow that up with just a question, um, if you have like some kind of issue with the brakes, are you able to simulate that as well? Are you able to follow that sort of investigation and go, okay, where did this go wrong? Um, absolutely. Um, this is uh, one one essential part of, of, of testing. And obviously, there's always two focuses, uh, R&D and performance. You know, you want to have get the you know, highest performance, uh, consistency, uh, thermally stable. But then again, you also want to make sure that they are uh, a fit for purpose, meaning, you know, to the duty cycles that you will expect at a certain racetrack. So one big part is durability testing, where you, you know, you, you you replay or, or simulate duty cycles that you will expect. But then again, also uh, going a step further, you know, uh, putting uh, more load, uh, running at higher temperature to see, you know, where, where is that, that edge, you know, how close can I go to it so that I know when I have my on-track telemetry data about, you know, temperatures and pressures and see how they creep up, how close am I to the limit to make sure that we can slightly back off before something uh, catastrophic failure at the track happens. And sort of taking that a step further, you know, what is the process for, for, for testing brakes considering the many variables of a race? So, for example, tyre wear, maybe a driver's hit a bump and the suspension gets damaged, uh, things like that. Even the weather can make braking obviously very, very different when it gets, when it gets wet. So how, how, would, how would you guys uh, simulate that and help with braking testing there? As Martin already explained, it really depends a lot on the purpose of what you're trying to achieve with the test. Um, if you're trying to do R&D and really understand the brakes and their behavior, for example, what is the, the um, dependency of the braking behavior with temperature, then we would do that with a, what Martin said, the single corner test, uh, where we try to keep the conditions as stable as possible, just to learn as much as we can uh, about the brakes. When it comes to optimizing the setup for a particular circuit, then we have in the background a full vehicle model running. It's called VSM in our case. That's a dynamic vehicle simulation. And that model contains basically everything from the full car. So we can change any parameter. That means we can change tire grips. We can change uh, the track grip. We can change the temperature. We can change any parameter on the car. And by that means, we can obviously also adjust um, our simulation environment to the particular track that we are looking at. Take Formula One, for example, Canada. I think very famously, especially going back sort of 10, 20 years, there are lots of incidents there with brakes. And Monza as well, for example, where you've got the big high speeds and the big stops. So are you guys always, do you, if, if you're testing a new uh, a new braking system, are you always simulating the same racetracks or do you just do a whole big range? That very much depends on what our customers ask us to do. We can do basically anything. But uh, as you correctly said, typically people are looking for the limiting factors. And then you usually pick parts of a track uh, that are especially hard on the brakes. And as you said, uh, Canada is a very famous example of, uh, for that. Also Monza. But also if you not look too far ahead, if you look into Austria, which is going to be the first F1 race in 2020, it has uh, three very hard uh, braking zones. And also there, um, especially in sector one and two, the performance of the brakes is uh, crucial to good lap time. But uh, to add to that, uh, maybe from, from my side is, um, you know, Obviously, there's this aspect of making sure that the material that you have is able to withstand uh, these, these, these crucial uh, requirements. But there's still also the aspect where you do track specific, even for tracks with uh, you know lower uh, requirements on the brake, to make sure that you still keep 
them uh, thermally stable with getting away probably as much as uh, cooling as possible to gain you know overall aerodynamic performance. So this is a, a really a track specific uh, uh, additional uh, optimization task. Well, if we go back to sort of the drivers and, and how they can gain performance in terms of simulators and, and, and especially when it comes to considering their braking, what sort of programs, what sort of tasks would they typically have to conduct to sort of try and gain an edge when it comes to braking? It's really all about how the driver is utilizing the tire performance that is available. In the end, what the tires uh, do is they are transferring any force between the vehicle and the track. So what the drivers must try is to maximize that. So if, uh, for example, you have a a braking potential of, let's say, 4,000 newtons on the tire and the driver is only using 3,900 newtons, then he's not at the limit. So there is something to be gained there. And therefore, the task of the driver is to completely exploit whatever is available from the tires and from the car. Um, That uh, leads us obviously to a driving technique and the braking technique. Um, There is different ways of slowing down the car. And uh, as we already said in the introduction uh, for this podcast, you cannot look at the braking in an isolated way, but the braking actually determines how you're going to go through the corner. If you're going to hit your apex, what is the apex speed? Is the car correctly positioned for the exit? So there is a lot that the driver has to consider and everything happens within a very short time span. So it is very important that everything works properly and the driver doesn't have to think twice what he needs to do uh, to achieve what he wants. If we think particularly about how the different categories and the the uh, the engine technology, it's all it's all it's all involved in there. The energy recovery systems, particularly in sort of modern Formula One, uh, Formula E as well, and of course uh, the hybrid systems in the World Endurance Championship. So, if I could just come to Jake again, can you sort of just give us a brief sort of a brief history, if that's not too much to ask, of sort of the the, the recent developments in in technology and how that's affected, uh, you know, first of all braking systems and also the way drivers brake. I think we we can look back at perhaps the 2009 season where we first saw Kurz in Formula One. I think that's when this hybridization became more more mainstream. Obviously, there were sort of smatterings of hybrid technology in WEC and stuff. When Kurz came into Formula One, that's when it became a mainstream thing. And since the hybrid engines were were brought into Formula One um, and also the the rise of Formula E as well, it has become a huge talking point in the last five or six years this way of getting energy back from your braking the way of it uh you know deploying what's in your battery onto the track um it has become a huge part of what we're going to do next with regards to automotive technology as well obviously you know some people will moan about hybrid technology but this is the future um and of course, when you when you are under braking, um, you you're able to put the energy that is sort of wasted under that braking, so heat and things like that, back into your battery, which means this is power that you have to deploy later on. Um, back in the Kurz days, that was something that the driver could control manually, but uh, energy deployment that sort of now wrapped up within uh, within various maps that engineers use in in motorsport. Um, and obviously, that sort of the, that hybrid technology is now filtering down into British touring cars, Formula Three, Formula Four, that kind of thing. So, yeah, this is this is all becoming 
having to work out what your regen is has become becoming part of your sort of your toolkit as a racing driver i mean how has that impacted your work at avl how 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 quickly and how often would you have to adapt your software for your simulators to sort of reflect the the differences in in technologies um obviously for us this has been a huge uh, huge factor also in 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 further developing our systems, we really saw the, the a rise in demand for brake testing really also with you know the introduction of hybrid and electric powertrains. Because what really essentially changed from before a rather really more mechanical R&D approach, you know, that involved, you know, materials and, and, and thermal aspects, now added a huge uh, control and software aspect to it. So, I would say, you know, in, in today's world, it, it's just as much as software development. You know, how is my 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 structure for my brake provider system as well as uh, software optimization to make sure that this brake provider system is is working properly in all different conditions? Because it's not just it has to always react to um, you know how much region torque is available, but this even highly depends on the, what is my state of charge of battery. You know, there's so many variables and scenarios we really have to run through parameter variations quickly and this is where this fully automated uh, hardware in the loop systems essentially come in um, so yeah like i said um, software becoming a huge factor uh, and also you know what's important for these brake provider systems is also to for for the control is to predict what is my mechanical friction brake going to do so big effort that we're currently working on with a lot of uh, categories is, is predicting these behaviors by creating uh, models that then run on the control units that we you know develop and validate on the, the test bed to make sure that we have an, an, an open loop uh, brake torque estimator that's based on you know wheel speeds, wheel torque. Uh, brake, pressure, rate of change, uh, a lot of uh, inputs that go in that then predict. And actually, uh, over time, it's a, it's a constantly evolving process. But uh, we reached now uh, really accuracies that are, uh, are really impressive and will and will continue to improve going forward. And when you're developing, you're simulating and developing brake technology for you know this new breed of hybrid engines, do you sort of have... Are you able to compare it to what it was like back in the sort of naturally aspirated days of brakes? More are they bigger? Are they are they more different? Or are teams just finding ways of getting more performance out of them? Actually, if we just look at the sheer size of the brakes, they tend to become actually quite a bit smaller because in the old days of naturally aspirated engines, um, everything to stop the car to slow down the car needed to go through friction. So you need a certain diameter on the brake disc. You needed a certain size of the caliper and all that. Um, with the advent of uh, brake by wire, you can do a part of that work uh, through, let's say, electrical energy by recharging the battery, which means that the friction brakes don't need to be as large as they used to be. The big thing is obviously that the, the brakes have become quite a bit more complex. As Martin already said before, software has become uh, a differentiating factor in the last few years with brake by wire, simply because in racing, the driver is always a braking at the limit. Um, and if you have another system component playing into that, you need to make sure that uh, one thing fits to the other um, and you're not doing something that disturbs the driver. For example, if you're regenerating electrically and you add too much of hydraulic brake pressure, you will have a lockup. 
and that's the least thing that the last thing that drivers want to see during uh, a braking at, at high speed at the limit. And therefore, um, with the software, with the programming, teams can make a huge difference. And uh, as I said initially, the braking instills a lot of confidence into the driver or not. And if it's th that's not the case, then the driver will never be able to uh, exploit the maximum of what's given to him. I can remember when I used to cover Formula E, I can remember when the, the Gen 2 car first appeared back at the end of, what was it, 2018. I can remember Sebastian Buemi, uh, the Nissan Edams driver, saying, I, I asked him whether he agreed with this assessment in the fact that because in Formula E, all the sort of development of the hardware is locked once you reach a certain point in the year, that software becomes the real key battleground. And it's almost like if you take uh, just taking it in isolation the the aero war that you get in formula one teams are constantly bringing updates in terms of their aerodynamic packages uh, but in formula e it's all about the software to get those powertrain systems working and the brake by wire as well but i wondered if we if we flip that around is is it a similar case in formula one that the teams are constantly it's, it's its own battleground in terms of software teams are constantly bringing their own updates or their own systems in that category as well absolutely um uh, as I already mentioned, or it was mentioned at the beginning, when race teams always look to exploit the, the, the very last bit of a performance, um, what in, within obviously the, the boundary conditions of the regulations. Um, and uh, as we've seen, uh, when these systems were introduced, uh, uh, it was quite a quite a show. You know, during the first preseason tests, where AMD systems were still in this let's call it infancy stages, where we had, you know, drivers losing the back end, uh, you know, without any reason because these systems weren't, like Michael before said, optimized and therefore sometimes had glitches and, 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 and certain conditions in them that haven't been tested before and that led to uh, unexpected behavior and therefore unstable driving conditions. So drivability is 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 a big is a big key um, and heavily influenced by the software optimizations. And uh, since this is still an ever-growing process, you know, people learn and models advance, um, it's, it's far from being uh, saturated. You mentioned the optimization there and how, you know, you have to go from getting things that aren't quite right to making sure that they're, they're, they're as close to perfect as they can be. Safety is obviously a, a key part in that. And you guys mentioned how, like, compared to, to years and years ago, the brakes are actually smaller um, in terms of the, the you know the, the physical pads in terms of the way they slow the car down because obviously the electrical system the brake by wire is doing a lot of the work uh, as opposed to just friction so you know what are the particular safety systems that the teams are using just to make sure still that there aren't isn't going to be a failure and are you surprised that we don't see more of that in terms of formula one maybe to answer the first part of your questions uh, there's not a real pre-active uh, safety system on brakes on the car. Obviously, that's uh, it's also like all the other areas, it's heavily uh, instrumented. So we can lock the data of, you know, all temperatures, pressures, um, even uh, brake disc width, um, just to make sure that we know the exact state of the brake at any time. But um, that the real work also here in the safety aspect goes really already back at the factory uh, and on the testing and the design, you know, um, with all these durability testings and making sure that the software systems are optimized, um, the, the, thermal, uh, the thermal capability of the system is optimized and you know where, exactly where your limit is under certain conditions. This is really the main proactive task in terms of safety to make sure 
once you uh, encounter certain conditions on the track, you know how far you can go or where you need to back off in order to make sure that the brakes survive and still live. And uh, to uh, the second uh, part of the questions, um, if I'm surprised that we don't see no more of, of that, um, it's actually quite impressive uh, about how the, how sophisticated these systems are still uh, are. Obviously, there is um, the the occasional brake failure, but sometimes once you look closer into it, it could be that it's also some inconsistency from you know. Uh, the components from the suppliers, you know, also here there's the possibility that there are some, some quality issues or, you know, maybe they had some uh, change in vendors recently, but typically it could always be uh, explained once it's, uh, it's looked closely into after the debriefing. It's amazing, isn't it? When you think about it, sometimes it can just come down to a slight fault in a manufacturing process and that can uh, that can have a big impact on a sporting event. Well, um, Jake, just coming to you again, let's look a little bit to the future if we can. I mean, where 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 is next for breaking technology would you would you would you have a stab at guessing uh i feel like i'm gonna hang myself out to dry here a bit but um it's no it kind of depends which direction motorsport is it's very much at a crossroads at the moment you've got in one corner you've got this hybridization of formula one in one another corner you've got uh the electrification of formula e and i would say Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps by 2030, either they'll have become one homogenous series or we'll have to go in a different direction. Um, and as, as Michael explained, as the brakes are getting smaller, um, one can sort of see as the efficiency of, uh, of, of motors and regeneration increases, um, brakes will continue to get smaller as well. Um, what you have to expect as well is, um, obviously, Formula One is not just looking at technology as well, but it's also looking at improving the spectacle as well. And people have sort of, for a while, have said, perhaps maybe F1 should return to steel brakes, which would be, you know, a little bit Neanderthal at this point, but perhaps uh, going towards something in the future like a carbon ceramic uh, composition is is probably more likely. Um, they'll, they'll have a chance to explore different materials, um, and as technology increases, um, brakes will again be be one of the one of the places affected. What's the plan at AVL? What's happening? What do you think? What do you see in terms of? Uh, what do you guys see in terms of uh, the future of braking technology? I mean, is it? Are we still in sort of the the infancy stages of the of the current tech, or are they? Or is it reaching a sort of plateau and a ceiling? First of all, I would say uh, brake barrier is for sure here to stay, and I think this is the foreseeable future. I would think that uh, with brake barrier, we have uh, had our teething issues. It has reached a certain level of maturity. But there's always something else that you can do, especially as uh, Martin said before, uh, with all the software and uh, the updates going on. I think there's still a lot to be improved there. But for me, my personal opinion is this is going to be um, incremental steps. I do not see a revolution as breakable wire was. I do not see a revolution coming up in the next few years. I think it's about really exploiting all the potential of uh, what's on the table right now. And what the future holds, what will happen in 10 or 12 or 15 years, I don't really know. I think um, if I can add to that, currently we, we, we still learn about brakes the more we look into that, especially as testing also advances, because in the car currently there hasn't been really a reliable way to really measure brake performance. You can um, measure the boundary conditions and with you know with the models that we pre- predictive have these predictive algorithms, we can we can estimate what the 
the behavior will be. But um, now we, you know, also at ABL, we work on a, on a piezoelectric-based sensor that really is able to measure brake torque directly uh, in the brake system between the caliper and the upright, and therefore can really give uh, insights on you know, what are the brake torques uh, real time. Uh, not just that, but also to detect maybe, you know, are there any imbalances in the system? Are there disc deflections um, and the residual brake torque, which uh, is a big topic in the ever uh, never-ending quest for additional efficiency, especially in fully electric powertrains. So I'm pretty sure with this new technology, that the new data that we can get of it, there will be new insights and, uh, and, and maybe give us a new direction and, you know, new ways to uh, explore and use uh, new roads to, uh, in terms of development that wander down to. Absolutely. Well, I wonder if we could sort of just end on a bit of a bit of pie in the sky future thinking in terms of automotive and, and, you know, motorsport obviously plays its part in that as well, because the, you know, the typical, you think what you develop, what a manufacturer develops for their racing team might filter one day down to their road cars. I think particularly for the listeners, it's just interesting to consider when we think about, especially the, you know, the future and the, the rise of hybridization, the, the rise in electric road car usage, things like that. Braking is, is so key to these systems. And, you know, there's, 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 talk there's theories that you know you could go out in your car what energy you generate from braking you come home you plug that back into your connected home i mean obviously you've got to work out how all these systems work and you know you might be able to to power your lights or heat your bath water or something like that so it's fascinating to consider just what what braking systems could could end up one day doing is that is that something you guys have ever thought of obviously it's uh, a big part of what we're thinking of it's about efficiency um, especially with uh, Formula E where efficiency has been highlighted, but also with uh, Formula 1 with the current power unit technologies where the thermal efficiency has gone up quite a bit compared to the previous uh, generations. Um, it's all about efficiency and using what we have on the table as good as we can. And therefore, this has always been on, on the back of our minds and with uh, hybrid technology, with uh, regeneration, we are basically not converting the kinetic energy of the car into heat as we did in the past, but we are recharging the battery so we can reuse the energy properly. Um, and in racing, this is obviously a very big motivating factor. And also for, for passenger cars, this is becoming increasingly important. Even more so if you look into the regulations where in the future there might come regulations when it comes to the brake dust um, that you can emit. Um, this will also be helped if we do more regen braking, just as a small example of what we think where the future is going. As we've said, it's one of the most spectacular areas when things go wrong. It's one of the important areas to make sure things go right for all motorsport teams when it comes to, to actually slowing the cars down, making sure the drivers get that lap time and ultimately go on to be successful. Well, guys, as Jake said, you've been very thorough. Once again, it's always a pleasure talking to you guys from AVL. So Michael and Martin, thank you very much for joining us on the Autosport podcast. And we hope to have you back again soon. Happy to. And uh, thanks for having us. Uh, and uh, hopefully till next time. And thank you, Jake. I don't think you were too wild or unstable in that episode which is good. I probably, I probably me that was the wild and unstable element. I ring there. Yeah. He did indeed. Excellent. Well, guys, thank you very much for joining us on the Autosport podcast. Well, thanks to Martin and Michael and JBL for that discussion. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to know more, please get in touch with us on social media using our handle at Autosport. Thanks again for listening. And thank you to our producer, Martin Lee, for editing this episode. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport podcast.
Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.